Tonight I'm going to continue with a series on apostolic evangelism. It's an awesome praise report that Matt gave this evening. I'm just really in such anticipation of what God is going to be doing over the next months and this next year as we're getting ourselves properly aligned with His purposes. Amen? Amen. I began to talk to you um, in the beginning of this series about the apostolic perception or perspective of evangelism is one of supernaturally transformed lives, taking people from being a convert to becoming a disciple to becoming a church member to becoming a minister in, in the gifts and callings that God has called people to. And then also we looked at that Jesus had called us to be fishers of men. And when Jesus first spoke that to Peter, he said, I was going to make you a fisher of men. We saw that on the day of Pentecost that, fish, that Peter became quite a fisher of men. And 3,000 were won to the Lord on that very day. And so Peter was an excellent fisher of men. But more than that, he was an excellent mobilizer. He was training, equipping the body of Christ to do the work of evangelism, which is what all New Testament evangelists should do. And early church growth was phenomenal, but it wasn't because Peter was preaching sermons every day. It was because the word was being preached, but also the body of Christ was being mobilized to go out on a daily basis and to evangelize and to bring people into the kingdom. And so tonight, our focus is upon believers' ministry training, and I thought it was appropriate tonight to talk about signs and wonders as it relates to evangelism. Because we're not just interested in preaching an intellectual gospel. We want to have a gospel with punch, right? One with power. One that demonstrates a living Savior. Hallelujah. You know, people can argue with you with your doctrine all day long, but it's hard to argue with a miracle. Miracles tend to stop arguments, you know. Signs and wonders. Signs that point people to Jesus. Wonders that make people go, I wonder what that was. You know, those amazing supernatural things that really catch people's attention. Let's look at some scripture here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We want to see, you know, the early church was founded upon the miraculous. I believe that if we're going to be a New Testament church, we also need to be founded upon the miraculous. There are a lot of people today with a lot of ideas about how to evangelize and how to reach people for Jesus. But I think particularly in a society such as ours where people have become so um, immune <laughs> to the gospel. You know, they become immune because they haven't seen the power of God. They've heard a lot of arguments, you know, but they haven't really seen God at work. And so there are many people who remain unconvinced no matter what we are telling them. Let's look here at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, start with verse 4. Paul says, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. You know, miracles testify to unbelievers that God's real. Miracles testify God is real. All right. You know, Randy Clark says that anyone who does not have an experience with God doesn't know God. And I think that's a really important statement. You know what? All of us need to have our own experience with the living God. And if we haven't had one, we don't really know Him. But praise God, experiences are available. And we can pursue the Lord and we can have all kinds of experiences. We've had some awesome experiences here, haven't we? Tremendous things. 
But you know, Paul says that I don't want your faith to rest upon an argument. I don't want to rest, I don't want it to rest upon a few scriptures that you've heard. He says, I want your faith to rest in the power of God. You know, there, many years ago, I heard the testimony of T.L. Osborne. How many people know who T.L. Osborne is? T.L. Osborne was a man of God who was who was primarily working overseas in India and Asia and places like that. And he went out many years ago to preach the gospel. And he showed up in India. And he stood up and he began to preach to the crowd. And he would say, you must serve the Lord Jesus. They said, okay, we'll add Jesus to the list of, you know, 10 million other gods. We, we serve Lord this, Lord that. Sure, we'll take one more. Uh, you know, I spoke to a man who's a former Hindu. He said, you know, Hindus are very confused. He says, when you got three million gods, you know, you're never sure which one, which one you might have upset or which one. So the, the people began to say to T.L., sure, we'll add Lord Jesus to all the rest of them. And he said, no, you can't add Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus must replace all these other gods. They says, why? He says, because the Bible says so. They said, what's the Bible? Well, it's the Word of God. They said, says who? He went back home utterly defeated, felt like a complete failure because he had not made one single convert because he was trying to use an intellectual argument. He got on his face before God. He went back home. He just cried out, fasted and prayed, got on his face before God and says, God, we have got to have some kind of transformation. And then he understood that what he needed was the miraculous. He needed the power of God. He went back to India. And this time he stood before the crowd. And this time he said, you must receive Jesus. And they said, okay. He says, no, Jesus alone. They said, why? He says, how about if my Jesus heals a man of deafness. Will you give up your other gods and serve only him? They said, sure. So he called up a deaf man. God opened his ears, had massive converts right there. They began to have miracles. You had the, the Hindu and the other priests that were getting healed and delivered of all kinds of things. And they said, you know, it's a smart thing to do. It's to realize to serve the living God and to leave dead idols. And so from that moment on, T.L. Osborne began to preach Jesus the miracle worker. And his ministry, which may not have been all that well known in America, but for he was widely known with a global miracle ministry. He called the USA Fairyland. <laughs> he says, over here in Fairyland, you don't meet real demons. He says, you meet real demons over there in Asia, over there in India, in different places. But you know, his... This is a completely biblical, you know, philosophy. Is our faith is not in an argument, not because one person's really smart and has put together a nice, you know, crafty thing that we have to give a mental assent to, but he says, no, our faith has got to be in the miracle working power of the living God. Let's look over at Second Corinthians chapter four. Flip over just a few pages. Second Corinthians four. Looking at verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There are some times that people are not going to be able to receive the gospel because their minds have been blinded so much 
to no matter what kind of truth you're speaking to them, it's not permeating the heart. And so therefore, the miraculous will many times break open that hard shell that's around a person. But the Bible says here that Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded people's minds. You know, there are people, it's amazing the deception that some people are in. Um, it's amazing. You sit there and you're like, how can you believe that? that? That doesn't even make sense. But, you know, deceived people don't know they're deceived. And when your mind has been blinded, you can't see the truth. And Paul says it's the God of this world has done this. Sometimes it takes direct spiritual warfare to confront Satan to break off the blindness off of people, which is how we have been praying for our lost loved ones. We've been praying for them to be delivered from that mind-blinding spirit. How many of you heard of Carlos Anacondia? Anybody? Carlos Anacondia is an Argentine evangelist. And he goes and he holds these big meetings. And the first thing he says when he opens his mouth is, Listen to me, Satan. And he starts telling the devil what they're going to be doing in the meeting that night. People are going to get delivered. People are going to get healed and set free. And, then, and demons go berserk in his meetings. They just, they panic and they freak out. And so he, but he had, this is the, the key mark, the, the keynote message that Carlos Anacondia has. And he's written a book called Listen to Me, Satan. And when he, when he gives a command, I mean, it's just electric. I've been in a meeting where he's done that before when I was in Argentina. And it's just like everything goes on alert because the man is grounded in the miraculous. And he's primarily in deliverance. Is primarily what he does, which is very necessary in Argentina. You've got a lot of occultic activity going on down there. And so a lot of people need to be delivered from that. So, you know, sometimes it's just like an act of warfare, just exactly like he's done, is he draws a line in the sand and says, this is how it's going to be. It's such a holy boldness about that man. I just love it. I just love that stand up and making proclamation. Deliverance, healing, and miracles minister faith to people who watch them happen have you ever been in an environment where you've seen miracles happen certainly we have we've seen them here what happens to everybody else who's watching somebody get a miracle your faith is growing strong isn't it we've we've had things just you can't it's hard to believe you know but it causes your faith i still remember the time that god was doing uh, dental miracles one night and I looked at a little girl's mouth, and I watched her. I watched her feelings disappear. I'm sitting there, just they disappeared, they vanished. That we also saw people's uh, feelings turn to gold. I watched people get gold crowns. That when they opened their mouth, it was blinding. It was so bright. Just phenomenal things that cause you to say, "God's in the house," and it causes faith to come up. And everybody else, well, if God did it for that person, God will do it for me. Amen. You see, our faith needs to be in the miraculous and grounded in that. And that's why every last one of us needs to have a supernatural encounter with the living God. Because you know what? An argument you can be talked out of. But when you've been healed, when you've been delivered, when you've watched God come through for you, end of story. Right? End of argument. All right. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4.20, For the kingdom of God does not consist in words but in power. There's a lot of times people are waiting to evangelize because they're waiting until they get all their facts straight. You know, they want to take the evangelism courses so they can answer every single question that an unbeliever might ask them. 
many of you ever met unbelievers that want to discuss the book of Revelation? Why? <laughs> I don't know. I got a phone call this week. You know, just, is this the church? You know, and, and so I talked to the guy. I want to talk to you about the book of Revelation. I'm like, do you have a church home? <laughs> you got a pastor? Got somebody you can sit down with? But it seems like unbelievers, that's what they want to talk about. It's the book of Revelation. And they want to get twisted up into all kinds of things. But you know what? You can argue and explain the book of Revelation back and forth. But that doesn't have the impact upon a person of seeing a healing or seeing a miracle. And we need to have our people grounded in that. Amen. Amen. Let's turn to um, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4. As Jesus said that he was going to make us fishers of men, we also look at how Jesus ministered. And this is really, really familiar to a lot of us, but I want us to see it right here in the Word. Matthew 4, 23. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in our synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Jesus is going out not only preaching, but he's working so many healings and deliverances that people have never, ever seen anything like this before. And what happens? Large crowds show up. Large crowds began to show up because the miraculous was happening. You know, people aren't necessarily interested in all of your doctrine, but they are interested in when God shows up and when you know how to pray. If people know that you know how to pray. I've had lost people or people not serving God. You know, they've got a problem in their lives. They call me to pray because they don't think God will listen to them, you know. But you know what? If we pray and they see their miracle, how do you know they can't walk away from Jesus very easily? All right? Jesus, it, Jesus is so generous about giving miracles and healings to people. Our position is to be a people of faith and boldness. He'll take him in his word and believe he'll do it through this pair of hands, right? Through this mouth, through that mouth, your hands. Not just wait for the big shot evangelist to come to town, right? Amen, amen. Let's flip over to John chapter 6. We're going to be in John just for a little bit. Jesus is healing every kind of sickness, every kind of disease. Jesus did not have meetings that did not have the healing, the healings and the miracles take place. Every time there was a crowd, you know, because the Bible says he was moved with compassion. And even if you had everybody who was healed sitting there, how many know there's more things that God needs to do in people's lives and heal their bodies? There's lots of other things that need to happen as well. All right. John chapter 6, 2. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. You know, they were, they were following him because they heard things happen in that guy's meetings. Things happen there that aren't seen other places. And even if they weren't sick themselves, they wanted to go see what God was going to happen. I mean, we've talked about that here. It's like you don't want to miss church because you don't know what's going to happen because God's doing something here unusual every week and you just don't want to miss out, you know. I know some of y'all rearrange your vacation so you don't have to miss, you know. 
And then some of I remember the stories. Man, I had to work and I had to miss. And man, what happened? And and then you feel bad because you missed out. But but you know, it's like we're expecting. There's an atmosphere of faith that we expect God to show up and be supernatural. And I I want to tell you something. Being supernatural means that it's not always neat and dignified. You know, there was a time God, uh, Jesus spit on the ground and made mud and crammed it in the guy's eye sockets. And that's not real dignified, you know. There are some things that can happen when, when God is moving supernaturally that will cause us to feel a little bit uncomfortable at times. But I'd rather be a little bit uncomfortable and see the power of God than very comfortable and not see anything happen. Isn't that right? All right. John chapter 6, verse 5. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated, likewise also of the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who is coming to the world. You know, Jesus sent the example. He was communicating the love of God not only in his words, but also in deed. People were hungry, so he was meeting a very practical need. You know, there are some people that want to know if God loves them. Does God care about things like, do you have enough to eat? Do you have enough money to pay your bills? There are a lot of people who are not convinced that God cares about natural things, maybe only concerned about spiritual things. But Jesus demonstrated the love of God and the message of God that he was concerned in all areas. And so when it was necessary, you work a miracle. You take one kid's lunch and you feed thousands of people with it. Pretty good deal, don't you think? And I think about that. It says 5,000 men doesn't count the women and kids. And it says everybody was filled. I know some people with some hefty appetites. You know, you think about great big six-foot-tall guy doesn't eat the same thing as a little 12-year-old kid necessarily, right? But there were some big, strong people there who got their fill, and they had 12 baskets of leftovers. I think that's pretty awesome. Isn't it awesome that God made enough for leftovers? How many of y'all like leftovers? <laughs> but, you know, isn't that awesome? I mean, it wasn't just, you know what? Because he's El Shaddai, right? El Shaddai, God of more than enough. That's what El Shaddai means. Almighty God, God of more than enough. And so, he's all, you know, God's in the abundance mentality. He's in the abundance. I'm looking over and over. And when you see through the works of Jesus, you see the generosity of God. You don't see the stinginess of God with, with handing out miracles and blessings. There's only one thing God stings you with. That's details, in my estimation. Details. He tells you to do something but doesn't tell you exactly how and when and where. He likes to keep those things quiet. 
But other than that, he's completely generous with other things because he's going to have us walk by faith, right? Do you know that God wants to demonstrate and reveal miracle-working power in every church today? Every single one. He wants to draw multitudes in to see him work. God is glorified when miracles happen, when healings happen. What happens even tonight when we were receiving some praise reports? Our response is praise God and clap your hands. Hallelujah. And when we've seen God come through for people, we rejoice. God is glorified when we're excited about his goodness to us. Hallelujah. So when people, you know, God longs to do miracles in an environment that will attract the crowds in. You see, Jesus drew crowds by miracles. He was a great preacher, but it wasn't the preaching that so much drew the people is what happened at the meetings. And then they also learned things as he was preaching, right? We're in a time when God is putting a renewed emphasis upon the miraculous in the church. Now more and more people are beginning to expect to see signs and wonders and healings and miracles. People who have not previously begun to anticipate them are now beginning to expect them on a regular basis. And we're creating a culture, an atmosphere of faith and expectation that says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the things he did yesterday, he's also doing today. And he's also doing them through the hands of his people, just as he was doing them back 2,000 years ago. And so we're working on building faith and expectation in our hearts and also to where we're having those encounters with the living God. You know, sometimes... Sometimes, folks, when we study faith and we study the doctrines of healing and miracles and things like that in Scripture, sometimes we are trying to move into a formula mentality apart from an encounter with the living God. You see, you need to have the foundation in your, your doctrine. You need to have that for your foundation of faith and have your belief system right. But when it comes down to it, our faith is in a person. The living Christ, right? That's who our faith is in. So it's not that we're going to work a formula. We're going to use the principles of faith and the principles of prayer and confession that Jesus taught us. But when it comes down to it, we're expecting a living person to show up. Isn't that right? And that's something I think that sometimes people miss. That's one reason, folks, why it's important to worship, why it's important to praise, well, it's important to get your heart involved and not just go through the mechanics, but your heart engaged in a living relationship with the living God. Isn't that right? And this is why we are pushing worship here and why we're pushing extended worship here. Because when you have an atmosphere of worship, you have an atmosphere where God can come down and bring breakthrough, where God can come down and show off, and we can give him more honor and glory. And that unbelievers will see it and give glory to God. Amen. And we all know people who have got tremendous difficulty and pain and challenges in their lives. And we need to have a heart of desperation that cries out and says, God, come on. We want to see your power and your glory. We've heard about it in other places. We've seen it. But we're not satisfied if we're not seeing it here all the time. See? And that's got to be the heart 
of our of our, our whole congregation. And not only, of course, to see the miracles and things when we gather together in his name, but how many know that's not enough? It's got to be on your job. It's got to be in your house. It's got to be out there where you are because sometimes you're walking down the street and somebody collapses in front of you and it ain't time to go to church, right? Have I've been in store. Have you ever been in a store and watched somebody get ill right in front of you in a store? And immediately you got you to pray and help them right then and there, right? Or you come across an accident. You've been driving down the road. You come across an accident. How many of y'all regularly pray over accidents as they happen? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we believe God can reverse situations from turn things around, you know? And we want to we see the miracles of God happen. I remember one time. I was driving down the road in Nebraska, and I hit a patch of ice on a curb. And somebody I knew was coming towards me the other direction and watched my car begin to spin. And, of course, I'm praying, and they're praying at the same time. You know, my car rotted right up. And then we talked about it later. It's because both of us were praying at the same time because I didn't want to wind up in the ditch somewhere, you know. But it was just like it's not in a church service, but it's out there in the real world where we all live. And this is where we will see more signs and wonders of miracles out there than we will inside the church building. And I'm telling you, the times are coming. Paul Cain has prophesied that the stadiums will be filled. The stadiums will be filled of people coming to worship the Lord, to have an encounter with Him. But also, the churches are going to be filled. As miracles begin to happen, we're going to see more and more people begin to come to the Lord. They're going to hear about the things that the Lord is doing. And it's no longer going to be... Well, there's this famous man and this famous woman, but it's going to be this is where God Almighty shows up in the midst of his people. And it's through ordinary men and women and children that the miracles are happening through. I really believe the day of the one-man show is over. I believe that God raised up many men and women to be lighthouses, to be examples, to be champions. But we're living in a time where the ministry is put into the hands of the saints. And it's not going to, and the miracle workers are going to be the people that sit in the pews, that work the sound, that sing, it doesn't matter. That's who the miracle workers are. And I'm calling you all miracle workers and healers. You may not be preachers. It's not the same thing. You can be a preacher and not be a miracle worker, right? But there are miracle workers who are not preachers. And I've seen some powerful healers that couldn't string two sentences together. I mean, they open their mouth and, and it doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know? But man, God shows up in, in powerful ways. And I remember seeing years ago this woman evangelist. And she was, she was kind of goofy. She was, she was real sanguine personality, kind of goofy. And she would get up there and she would just talk about how she used to be a Playboy bunny and about how she used to, you know, work in the Playboy Club and, and everything. And then that, you know, God met her. And now she's got this tremendous evangelistic thing and healing thing going on. And she says, I just get up in front of people and I just kind of laugh and giggle and have a good time. And I just say, could God use a former Playboy bunny? And I throw the net. All these people get saved. <laughs> it's like, you know, because it's what Paul said. The confidence is not in the preaching. The confidence is in the power of God, you see. And a lot of times we're thinking, if I can just get my brother-in-law to hear such and such a preacher. Folks, if you can get into a place where Jesus shows up, don't worry about the preaching so much, <laughs> right? I, I mean, seriously. 
I've heard some phenomenal things. You know, there are some people, they are not the best preachers in the world. You know, we've all heard of, um, oh, what's the guy that, uh, Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. Very, very famous sermon that he preached, which actually he read to the congregation. He read it. And he was not an eloquent speaker. He was kind of a, you know, kind of a little neat guy that just kind of read his sermon. And it shook the whole place. I mean, revival broke out. It was not in his strength and ability. It was in the anointing that was present. It was the power of God that was present. Folks, I'm telling you, it's important when we come together that we worship. It's important that we put away religious stuff and have an encounter with the living God. It's important that you pull your weight in worship. It is because it, it brings out that corporate anointing. And as we all are all desperate and pulling upon the Lord God in anticipation, it creates an atmosphere where God can do awesome things and give honor and glory to his name. So God wants to reveal his miracle-working power in every church today. Now, what happens here in John 6, you've got this tremendous miracle. You've got these tremendous crowds of people. And, you know, there's a lot of people that come simply for the miracles. They're not really interested in changing their lives. They just heard a good show was happening down there at that church. And so they want to show up and see something phenomenal. And it's been that way from the time of Jesus. It's that way today. Not everybody who comes to the Lord comes with the right attitude, with the right motive. And so what happens is Jesus and we also need to take people past, have an encounter with the miraculous. The next step is discipleship. Let's look at John, um, John 6. We're still in John 6. So he's had this tremendous experience with thousands of people have received a miracle, right? Thousands and thousands have had a miracle. How many of you think if you were eating lunch that day and you had eaten what was obviously miracle bread and miracle, miracle fish, that maybe this might have had a real impact upon your life? You'd think so, right? So the crowd is there, and so in John six fifty one, Jesus starts weeding them out. He says, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who eats me, he also will live because of me. Now, how many of you know that's a hard word? That's a hard word. And I also noticed that Jesus didn't go to a whole lot of trouble to explain himself. Folks, sometimes we really want, we're so afraid of what people think. We're bound by fear of man sometimes. We go overboard trying to explain our motives or you didn't understand. But you know what? Lots of times Jesus just laid it out there. If you got ears to hear, you'll get it. If you don't, you won't. He laid it out there. 
And I don't see Jesus running after people saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, you didn't get it, come back. Most people would not have liked Jesus as a pastor because he wouldn't call them. He wouldn't call them on the phone and say, where were you? Hello. Would he? I mean, come on, look at the record here. He went after, he went after a lost sheep. He didn't go after disobedient, rebellious people. He went after people who were lost. There's a difference between lost and rebellious. That's right. That's right. Okay. John 6, 66. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to walk away also, go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There's a lot of people that walked away. Jesus could draw a crowd, but he could thin a crowd too. <laughs> you know what? Sometimes we get excited on the drawing the crowd in, and we forget things about, you know, Gideon. Gideon thinned the crowd way down. Jesus thinned the crowd way down after thousands and thousands and thousands of people coming to hear him and after him inviting 500 to wait for the promise of the Father, how many showed up? 120? You know, out of thousands and thousands? Most people left Jesus. Do you understand that? Folks, sometimes we have falsely judged. We've, we've seen the power of God move upon a church, and all of a sudden we've watched, you know, the pastor begin to deal with something. People don't like it. They walk away, and we've judged the pastor. We've judged the church. But Jesus had thousands of disciples not just listeners, but disciples, people who once were part of his group, once were listening and hanging on every word he said, who walked away from him. You know, folks, so that's the hard truth, is some people will not continue, right? Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see, true apostolic evangelism incorporates both miracles and discipleship. Realizing that both miracles and discipleship are crucial for the growth and the stability of the church. If the church of Jesus Christ does not have miracles, then what's going to happen? We're going to be dry. We're going to be ineffective, right? Suppose we have nothing but miracles. We have no discipleship. Then there's no stability. There's no holiness. There's a mess in people's lives, right? And so we have seen that some churches are tending to choose one over the other. Well, we really want the miracles or we really want the discipleship. But, folks, we need to have both of these things. We need to have good doctrine. We need to hold people to an account. And we also need to have the power of God in the midst of our churches. This is what's going to make people grow up, right? Years ago, we used to have a saying, if you had the word, let's see, if you had the spirit only, wait a minute, let me get it right. If you had the spirit and not the word, you blow up. If you had the word and not the spirit, you dry up. If you had the spirit and the word, you grow up. Years ago, it's the same we used to say. We want to have both. Yes, Bible study. Yes, learning doctrine. Yes, the foundations of the truth. But on the other hand, we had to have encounters with the living God. Amen? The whole Bible actually was once an experience, right? It was an experience, and then it was written down. Okay. Evangelism process has not been completed 
until individuals are built into a healthy spiritual body. If people come and they're like the crowds that day that Jesus was feeding them, they had a miracle, but if they don't get fitted in to the local church, then the evangelism process is not complete. It's not enough that people, you know, they listen to Billy Graham. You know, Billy Graham is so good about this. Billy Graham, for years, plans these crusades and goes into cities, right? He always works with local churches. And their goal is, yes, to get people to come to the altar to receive Jesus, but then he also has local churches there to get those people planted in a local church because it's not enough to get them born again. We've got to get them plugged in to a place where they can grow up, right? We have, in the charismatic movement, we have seen a lot of Christians who have seen God's mighty acts. We've been to awesome meetings. We've seen God respond in prayer. I mean, we've just seen awesome things. A lot of people have learned God's acts but have not learned his ways. Remember, that's what the word says in, in, about Moses. The children of Israel knew his acts, but Moses knew his ways. And so we have a lot of people in the body of Christ. They have seen the miracles, but they have not become a disciplined follower of Jesus Christ, and they have not learned his ways. And somehow they got the message of the resurrection, they got the message of Pentecost. They'll speak in tongues and they'll believe in miracles. But they somehow bypassed the whole message of the cross. You know, there's resurrection, there's Pentecost, but there's cross too. Jesus said we needed to take up his cross, right, and follow him. Take up our cross and follow him. This means the cross is self-denial. It's denying yourself. And this is an aspect that a lot of charismatics have left out of their Christianity. They serve the Lord as long as it's convenient, as long as everything's going their way. They get upset when you start talking to them about, you know, their lifestyle, maybe talking to them about their behavior, talking to them about their church attendance, talking to them about tithing. People start getting upset because you're messing with them. But you know what? That's discipleship. Discipleship means you are not your own, you are bought with a price. And as a disciple of Jesus Christ, that means a disciplined follower to learn from the master. And instead, in, in America, we had such a cafeteria approach to Christianity. Well, I like this, but I don't like that. And I'll take this, but I don't want that. It doesn't work that way in Christianity. As a matter of fact, it doesn't work that way in any other of the world's major religions. You know, you can't say, well, I want to be a Buddhist, but I don't want to do that meditation thing. It doesn't work that way. You can't say, well, I want to be a Hindu, but I don't believe in but one God. It doesn't work that way. There's a set of beliefs. There's a set of principles that come with every main world religion. And in Christianity, which is technically not a religion, but still you understand what I'm saying. In Christianity, we are here to be as followers of Jesus. And followers mean he gives the instruction and we do what he says, right? Very easy. And we don't exempt ourselves out of the parts that are uncomfortable or the parts that we don't think are socially acceptable anymore. Amen? There are things that Jesus requires of us, and we want to be a people who are growing up in all these things. You know, some people will, they look spiritual in church because they'll show up and they'll lift their hands or whatever, but if you start talking to them about their pride and their selfishness, they get offended. And don't be talking to me about that. And who are you? You know, it's amazing how many people really don't want anybody to get in the middle of their mess. Have you ever had somebody who loved you enough to get in the middle of you? I have. Was it any fun? No. Did you like it? No. Not at all. 
Are you glad they did it? Yes. You learned some things. You got over yourself, didn't you? Yes, we did. Hallelujah. We've all done it. You know, people who, dot, who have not learned God's ways, these people are not a picture of the church. They're an audience. The picture of the church is people who are accountable one to another, people who are actively involved in ministry, people who are responsive and obedient to the voice of the Lord. That's a picture of a real church. You know, and it's not based upon what God's going to do for us. Y'all remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And they were the three uh, Israelites who were going to be thrown into the furnace, right? And you remember what they said before they went in? That because the, the king was telling them, you got to deny your God. You got to quit worshiping your God or I'm going to throw you in there. And they basically said, you do what you got to do, but whether he delivers us or not, we're not going to bow to your idols, you see? And it, it, it didn't matter to them they were not going to change their principles whether or not God did a miracle for them. I've run across more than one Christian who's decided they're mad at God because God didn't give them what they wanted. God didn't do for them what they thought. And so, therefore, I ain't going to serve him no more. Well, that's just being a spoiled brat, folks. Come on, that's being a spoiled brat, right? And who's it going to hurt? God? No, <laughs> it hurts you, right? Our heart needs to be, even Job said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. You don't have to have all your theology straight. I don't think Job had all his theology straight, okay? But the heart attitude is, I belong to him. He can do with me what he wants. If he wants me to be martyred, that is his right. You understand that? We're talking real discipleship. I don't think Peter wanted to be crucified upside down. I don't think John wanted to be boiled in oil, but it happened. They were chosen. You know, God has chosen some people to be martyred. He has chosen us to suffer on some level for him. Some of you get fired. Some of you get ostracized by your families. Some of you just, you know, there's other things in your life. But when it comes down to it, he's the master and we're the servants, right? And we're not serving him just for the goodie bags. I'm not serving him just because I want healing, just because I need money, just because this but we're serving him because it's right. You know what? If the Lord never did one more miracle in your life, he's done more than you deserve. Isn't that right? It's true for all of us. He owes us nothing. We owe him everything. And that's our basic stance. On the other hand, knowing what we know about the Lord, we're expecting more miracles. Knowing what we know because we know he's wonderful. So that means he's going to give us some more wonderful miracles. And people that we love are going to see wonderful miracles. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So, folks, notice that in this with Jesus, this crowd with Jesus, a whole bunch of people walked off from Jesus one day because he preached something hard. He preached something tough. And for those people, that was the dividing line. They liked him as long as he was feeding their bellies, as long as he was putting on a nice show. But when he began to demand something of them, they didn't want to walk with him anymore. And it was the same crowds of people that when Jesus entered Jerusalem on the back of the donkey, they're crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Well, later that week, they're crying, crucify him. Folks that are just after miracles are fickle. 
And that's why, folks, it's like there are people that you and I have seen people that got all excited about living for God because they just got healed, because they just got delivered. But when they began to get pushed into discipleship, they couldn't get with that anymore, and they walked away. That's because people are fickle, and we cannot get our eyes upon fickle people. We keep our eyes upon the Lord and upon doing what's right. Folks, you and I need to make a determination in our hearts. What are we going to do? When you and I are working miracles in church, on the job, at home, wherever we're going, and people get excited and they're being drawn to us because of the miracles and signs, are we going to tell them the truth, that there is a cost to discipleship? Are we going to tell them the truth or are we just going to feed the crowd and make them happy? You know? The truth is, Jesus was not afraid to work tremendous miracles and then challenge people to follow him. Challenge people to come, be a disciple, deny yourself, lay your life down, come, give it up for a glorious cause, right? He was not afraid to do that. Folks, you and I, and particularly those of us who are called to leadership, we cannot be a people who back off of the hard truth of the discipleship just because we think people won't like it anymore. You know what? I decided a long time ago, I'd much rather just, let's just tell the truth and get it over with, you know? And there are some people, I've known pastors who are bound, military chaplains who are bound because of the government system in their church. Well, if I preach the truth, I'm going to get fired. If I preach the truth, I'll get rebuked. I'll be drawn, drawn up on charges. If I preach the truth, you know, I'm going to lose my biggest tithers. Forget that stuff. Let's preach it anyway. Let's preach it anyway. You know what? God can make it up to you. He sure can. He can make it up to us. Folks, we, we need to, when we bring people to Jesus, we need to move them past self-centeredness and move them into a position where they're willing to lose their lives to attain the Lord, right? So much of the time, you know, we have preached a half of a gospel. Come to Jesus. He'll save you from your sins. He'll heal your body. He'll fix your marriage. He'll bring your kids home. He'll, you know, he'll do this for you, do that for you, give you prophecy, deliver you, give you, give you, give you, give you. And it's all free. Salvation is free. Discipleship costs you everything. All right? And if we only preach the good news of salvation and we don't also preach salvation with discipleship, then we're doing a half-hearted job, you know? I remember, I forget the man who it was. Um, he was a famous revivalist preacher of the last century. I forgot which guy it was. But people would come, and he would preach salvation, and he wouldn't let them get saved the first day. They'd come to the altar, he'd send them back. No, you, you, hadn't, heard, you hadn't learned enough yet. He'd preach again. They're under conviction. He sent them back. Nope, not today. You can't get saved today. He would do this three or four times until they were desperate, until they said, I must have it. I'll do whatever it takes. He says, now you're ready. When you're ready to give it up, now you're ready. You know? And he saw tremendous crowds. You know, and that type of evangelism is evangelism that sticks. We've all seen people who got taught, taught a real easy message, and it didn't cost them anything, and they didn't stick with it, haven't we? Right? But if it has cost you something to serve the Lord, You'll stay with it. I had a friend many years ago who was for several years caught up in homosexual lifestyle. 
And she came to the Lord, and as she surrendered herself to the Lord, the Lord began to deal with her about lifestyle changes. And she said, um, you know, and she was talking, and so she, she gave it up. She gave it up. And um, she was talking to a friend of hers one day, and this friend said, well, you know, did you give it up, you know, just out of, you know, because God just made you, or, or you just felt it was a horrible sin, or what did you do? She says, I gave it up for love for God. The only reason I gave it up was love for God. She says, at the time, I wasn't convicted about it. I didn't feel it was something God demanded of me. She says, it's my offering to give it up. You see, you and I need to be giving up some things to be his disciples, right? You know what Jesus said? We are entering into a season where we are really focusing upon systematic discipleship here at this church. We are going to, we have an objective in mind to take a person who just comes in off the street inside of three years, have them to the point to where they are functioning in their role that God's called them to in the body of Christ. That they have received a lot of healing, a lot of instruction. They're ready, they're equipped, and they're doing what God's called them to do. There are some of us who've been saved for a long time but we've got some gaps in our upbringing, some things that never got healed or we never got trained in or we never got taught. And our goal is to go back and to fix all that, to fix all those little potholes in your, in your background so that you are that much farther ahead of the game because we're not about just making converts. We're about making disciples who will change the world. I, years ago, we had, we had a young couple that were missionaries that were going down to Guatemala and they came into our church to speak. And, I, and uh, we had another couple, same, two couples did this. One was going to Guatemala and one was going to Zimbabwe on two different occasions. And they were trained by some national missionary organizations. They came into our church, this was many years ago, and they, they preached and they did not know the first thing about the miracle working power of God. And I thought, who in their right mind sends a missionary out to work among people under witch doctors, somebody that doesn't know anything about the miracle working power of God. I thought, that's crazy. I would never send you out there if you didn't know who you were in Christ and you didn't know how to cast out devils. I would never send you out someplace like that. And my goal is, if you're here very long, two or three years, you know who you are in Christ. You know how to cast out devils. You know how to lay hands upon the sick. You know how to pray and bring heaven down. You know how to worship and see angels. You know how to prophesy. You know how to do all that stuff that you need to do as a believer in Jesus Christ. That's my goal, fully equipped. You ain't got to preach necessarily. But you got to be able to share with somebody in a coherent fashion something, right? That's my job, uh, not to have a bunch of 40-year-old people still sucking on a pacifier, you know, because maybe nobody had the truth, had the guts to tell them the truth, you know, or nobody challenged them to come out of your complacency and let's start living a supernatural life. You know, when you walk with the Lord, you don't get bored. If your Christianity is boring, you're not doing it right. <laughs> That's right. If you don't enjoy worship, you're not doing it right. <laughs> Seriously. There's, this is meant to be life-giving. Every part, yes, we face hard things. Yes, we face battles and challenges and tough stuff. 
But I tell you what, it's a good life. It's a good life. All right. What are we going to do, folks? We're going to tell them the truth? Are we going to tell them they can have all the best and still be selfish? Are we going to tell them they can have all the best? They don't have to come to church. They don't have to tithe. They don't have to be selfish. I mean, they can be selfish, you know, whatever. Are we going to tell them the truth? You give up your life, you get something better in return. Let me tell you something, folks. There are some nights I don't want to come to church. I'll be real honest. There are some times I just didn't stay home in my pajamas. Why is it people think that I'm different? Oh, well, you're different. It's not, you don't know what it's like, Donna. You don't know what it's like to work all day and not sleep all the night before. And you don't know what all that stuff is like. I thought, who are you kidding? <laughs> well, you got to be here. Oh, really? Don't you? If I got to be here, then don't you? Jesus told a parable one time. I gave a banquet and you wouldn't come. How rude. You know what? Cindy and Dennis invited us to their house for dinner a couple months ago. We said yes. How rude if we had not showed up. After they'd gone to all that trouble to make that shrimp and cheesecake. It was really good. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? It was like we offer, we offer a spiritual meal, a spiritual banquet. How rude not to attend when you've been invited. I don't know if I like this about you, Donna. <laughs> I'm just telling you the truth, right? I want you to grow up. That's all. And you are. I mean, you are growing up. You've made tremendous headway. But we're stepping it up a gear. You know, we're taking it up a notch. Because you know what? Time's running out. And I'm only one person. I need everybody in here that can heal the sick, cast out devils, raise the dead, work miracles. I need all of you to do that. That's all. So I'm not going to be satisfied until you all can. That's all. And you won't be satisfied either. You know what Mark 16 says? Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs shall accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Who is this? Believers. How many believers we got here tonight? We're going to expect some miracles, some healings, some answers to prayer. All right? Lord God, we thank you for miracles. We thank you for healings. May you be glorified. Lord God, with anticipation, we, Lord, we expect to see increasing demonstrations of your love, your mercy, your power. Father, we will not be those who shrink back, but God, we'll be those who will be bold in faith. And we'll declare your kingdom has come to Hampton Roads in Jesus' name. We give you praise and honor for every miracle, for every healing, for every answer to prayer. We hold on and say, God, you're not a man that you should lie, nor the son of man that you should repent. We say, it shall be unto us as your word has declared in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord.